Today is the third installment in a series on holiness. What does it mean to be holy? And today's lesson is, woe, and me, woe is me for I am destroyed. Or as you just heard in the scripture reading, woe is me for I am ruined. And we'll get to uh, the significance of that and how it connects with holiness here uh, shortly. But just to kind of review for a second, uh, in the past sermons, the first installment, the first sermon was to establish the, well, in a sense, this is almost my definition of holiness, and then I went to Scripture to show how we established that all the way back to Genesis, the first use of the term holy, and then all the way through the Old Testament, I think, and into the New Testament, I think it fits this definition, the idea of holy. Anytime it is mentioned that when something is holy, that means it is set apart from common things, to serve God's purpose. So in terms of utensils at the temple, there were certain utensils. They weren't made for common uh, uses, but they were for God's purpose in the temple. And then in regards to us and de- determining and thinking about people is that we are set apart from common everyday people to serve God's purpose. We, if we are holy, that means we're set apart from everybody else to serve God's purpose. We are special. We are unique. So previous, in the last sermon then, we looked in particular at Leviticus uh, 22. Was one of the, well, this is the verse we ended with, I should say. Leviticus 22, verses 31 to 33. And in that passage, we learned that obedience, God was calling his people in the old, under the old law, he was calling them to obey, and that that obedience resulted in God being made holy. And actually, his name was made holy. His name is holy and needs to be treated as holy. Nadab and Abihu were ones who didn't regard his name as holy. And they, didn't tre- they treated him as profane. They profaned his name, made his name common because they treated him how they wanted to treat him instead of how he commanded them to treat him. So uh, it's obedience that results in God being made holy. In other words, sanctified. In this passage we're going to look at, look at when it uses the word sanctified, it is simply that root word for holy, made holy. Whereas disobedience, so if we obey God, we make his name holy. If we disobey God, that results in his name being made common, or his name is profaned. God is not common. We should treat him as holy. If we don't treat him as holy, then his name is profaned. His name is made common, just like everything else. It's made equal with everything else or every other so-called God in this world. So that passage, Leviticus 22, verses 31 through 33, it says, So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel. So again, that those two words, the profane, Um, Holy and sanctified, that just means holy and to make holy. They're the same root words in those if you look them up in the Hebrew. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of Egypt from the land of 
who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord. So even in that little reference there to Egypt, God is saying, I brought you out. I separated you from what is where you were to serve one king, Pharaoh, and I brought you out to serve me. I set you apart from what is common, and now you're holy. You're set apart for me, for my purpose. Holy versus profane. There is something that I just read that we didn't discuss in previous weeks, though, and that's what we're going to look at this week. As you open your Bibles and look at Leviticus chapter 22 and verse number 32, it says, You shall not make my name common, my holy name. Don't make it common, don't profane it, but I will be sanctified, made holy. Among the sons of Israel. And now here it is. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So there is the passage. And here is the phrase that we're interested in now. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Sanctify, it's just that verb form of to make holy. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So here is, we've been talking about holiness and be holy, and we've got to be holy because he is holy, and he is the most holy. And so we've got to be holy. And that was where we started was 1 Peter um, chapter 1. Um, don't remember the verse number, actually. Uh, verse 18, I think, be holy for I am holy. But we have got to be holy. So the question is, how can we be holy? How is that going to happen? And that's what we're going to look at today because God says, I am the Lord. I'm the one who sanctifies you. I make you holy. And he says, I brought you out of Egypt. I separated you from them. So it's again in that context that fits our definition of holy. I set you apart for for a particular purpose set you apart from what is common and that's why God always said don't act like the nations around me you're set apart you're not like everybody else you're to be a holy nation special unique you're the one who is set apart from them to serve my purpose do what I say so therefore we see if we don't follow his commands then we make his name common we profane it We claim to follow Jesus. We act like everybody else. We have unholied God's name. Do you want to do that? Doesn't sound like a good idea to make God's name anything less than great. We should make his name holy and not profane it. It is imperative that we obey him and keep his commands. So now a little bit more about this idea of God makes us holy. There's a really good example Really fun example to consider, and that is Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah, we uh, we love this wonderful book that he that has his name attached to it. Isaiah uh, spoke all of the things that are in there, the conversations, the recordings, the history that's in there. But Isaiah is one that God made holy. 
But as the book begins, let's consider Isaiah. And you can go to the book. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah is introduced. And we can make an, a pretty simple assumption, since God chose him to deliver a message to the people, did God cho- choose sinners to deliver his message? Oh, not very often. He would choose ones who were holy, ones who were set apart for him. They, he, he would choose the ones that were ready to serve him, to deliver his message. So I, I put in this, you know, this, this thought that Isaiah must have been a holy man of God. You think about all the prophets when God called them. They were holy men of God, ready to serve him. Isaiah must have been a pretty good guy. He must have been one who followed the commandments of God. He wasn't like the rest of the people who were rebellious and doing whatever they wanted to do. That's why Isaiah was called to go out and speak to the rest of the folks. Isaiah must have been a holy man of God. For God chose him to deliver a message to sinful Israel. Rebellious nation, go out and talk to them. Now, as we get to Isaiah, I want to look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And here in this passage, this is the scripture reading that's already been read, but I hope you'll open your Bibles and look at this. This is where Isaiah has a scene that, where he comes into the presence of God. The presence of the Lord, who is holy, holy, holy. The Lord God is, uh, any, the number three represents God. It represents, uh, to some sense, perfection. So God is perfectly holy, and uh, Isaiah is coming into his presence. Again, so Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood about above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. So here's Isaiah. He's, he's has this image, this pre, he's, he's come into the presence of God. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And it's a scene connected with the temple. He is in the presence of God. Everything's shaking. Reminds me a little bit about when the Israelites came to uh, came to Mount Sinai. Remember that holy mountain? That mountain that was uh, a designated place set apart from all the other mountains where God had a specific purpose for that mountain was going to serve. serve uh, he was going to... Connect with his people there. Enter into a covenant relationship with them there. So that, that place had a specific purpose. It was a holy place set apart for God's purpose. And when the people came there and God started speaking to them, they were full of fear. Everything shook. The mountain trembled. The lightning flashed. There was smoke. Quite a scene. 
And the people there were quite frightened, weren't they? They said, Moses, you go up on the mountain or else we're going to die. Is that, you remember that scene? You're gonna, we're going to die if he keeps talking to us. We're getting too close to God and we don't like it. So anyhow, now back to this scene is Isaiah. He, here's the, the, uh, the, and I actually had, um, it mentioned smoke filling the temple. Verse 4, the foundation's trembling. The presence of God is there. And now, let's uh, consider, let's read verses 5 through 7 because we're going to see, and in, in, for my purpose today, we're going to look at these verses and we're going to learn four things. Four things from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 5, uh, and on through 5 through 8. I'm actually going to read verse 8 right now, too. Then I said, so here is Isaiah speaking. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. So in this wonderful passage, in this neat scene that we're looking at here, four things that I want you to consider. We've already established, number one, that that Isaiah was kind of a holy man. God chose him to do something. Usually that's a holy person that he chooses. But number one, Isaiah's holiness was relative. You and I all, when I mentioned Isaiah being a holy man, well, of course he was a holy man. Scripture doesn't even have to say it. We know he's a holy man if God chose him. But his holiness is relative. Compared to other people, compared to the nation, compared to the other Israelites that surrounded him, maybe he was set apart, maybe he was a little different, maybe he obeyed the Lord a little bit better, maybe he took seriously the commands of God and followed them as best he could, wherever, whereas everybody else just said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Compared to all the other people, he may have been holy, really holy. But compared to the Lord... He was unclean, he was common, just like everybody else. He puts himself in the same position as being with all the other sinners that he was trying to call out of their sin. Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips." Compared to holy God, I am dirty, filthy, worthless. I, you know, Isaiah is the same book where 
that records the fact that all of our righteous acts are as filthy rags. Woe is me. Woe is me. And there's a lot of people, and a lot of us as Christians, I think, can be tempted to do the same, but there's a lot of people who don't understand that someday when we come into the presence of the one who created us, we're not going to look at him and say, wow, you really are just as loving as everybody said, and I know you're just going to accept me as I am, and you know, you're so cool, God, and everybody, I, now I know why everybody gets to go to heaven, because you're so loving. And We've got to understand, when we come into the presence of God, our Creator, the Mighty One, who is perfect in every way, and perfect in His own holiness, His own purpose, There's no one going to stand before him and say, hey, God, you're pretty cool, and why don't you just take me in? Someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And that will be done with fear and trembling. I believe even as us who are holy, who the people who are called out, who understand God, who seek to please God in every way, we, even us, we will bow before him just as Isaiah does here. Um, and it do, I, I, I should be clear, it doesn't specify that he bows physically. And in my mind, I don't know how he didn't. <laughs> I imagine he was like everybody else and kind of fell on his face And says, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Compared to everybody else, he might have been decent. You know, maybe everybody else is right here. Maybe he was up here in terms of holiness. But you know what? When you come into the presence of God, who is way up, way up here, we're all kind of just down here together. He knew that he was unclean. He knew he had sin. He knew he was not prepared to be in the presence of God. And so number two, what we learn is that what is unclean, what is just common, what is part of just kind of life here on this sinful earth that has been corrupted by sin, what is unclean and common cannot come into the presence of God. Of God, of holy God. Number three, anything unholy that comes into the presence of the Holy Lord should be destroyed. Now, in verse number five at the very beginning, most of our translations, I believe, say, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Um, one of the translations that I, that I look at a lot of times when I'm preparing that Lexham English Bible, I've probably mentioned before, it translated this, woe is me for I am destroyed. 
And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Seems a little bit different than ruin, but I see why they're about the same, aren't they? And I looked up, and a lot of times that word is just translated destroyed. It could be very well translated, woe is me, for I am destroyed. In other words, Isaiah knew he was done. He knew he was finished. He just, he knew, I think he knew it intuitively, but perhaps he knew it also based from Scripture because in Exodus, um, Exodus 33, verse number 20, uh, that verse specifies God speaking to, to Moses. He, he said, no one can see my face and live. Remember, Moses was permitted to see the backside of God. As he was put in the cleft of the rock, then God walked by him, and it's kind of like Moses got to see just a glimpse of his backside, not the full glory of God, but just a glimpse. He didn't get to see the face of God, because God said, if anyone sees my face, he cannot live. So Isaiah experiences the same thing. It's almost like the, the sun. The sun is kind of a pure uh, a pure uh, body, isn't it? We look at the sun and, you know, we lo- we're like, we can't look at it too much. It destroys our eyes. And we know we get a little bit closer to it, even before we get anywhere relatively near to it. I, I think is it, if we get out of our atmosphere, if we, didn't, if we were out in outer space, just outside of our atmosphere and didn't have on a space suit, besides not being able to breathe, what would the sun do to us? How long would we have? I think it would destroy us quickly, right? You get, you get too close to the pure thing. You can't look at the sun. You can't get too close to it or you'll be destroyed. And in a sense, God is kind of like this. His, his purity and how often does he show up as light in the scripture. All through scripture, God is light. In him there is no darkness. You get too close to him, you're going to be destroyed. He's just, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's his goodness, And that we're not good, so we can't come into his presence. If we get too close, we'll be destroyed and should be destroyed. Because God can't be in the presence of sin. So another thing that we learn, we see that in this passage. Another thing then that we learn is the beautiful part, though. Because then we go on all that scene in verse number 5. Isaiah intuitively just knows, I'm done. I'm destroyed, I'm going to die. One of the seraphim takes coal from the altar, comes down, touches his unclean lips, and imparts to him, atones for his sin, covers his sin, forgives him of his sin. Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, before the seraphim had done that, what could Isaiah had, what could he have done to take away his sin? What could he have done to make himself worthy of being in the presence of God? Absolutely nothing. He's completely in the All he can do is plead for mercy. That was the only option he had. And merciful God provides a way. The Lord made Isaiah holy. The Lord took away his iniquity, made atonement, forgiveness for his sins, 
And that made Isaiah set apart then from common people. He was no longer one with unclean lips like everybody else, right? He no longer had unclean lips. His lips were made pure. They were made clean. So he was set apart from everybody else. And then that is done so he can serve God's purpose. Holiness isn't really mentioned in this passage anywhere except for verse number three, is it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, uh, is the Lord of hosts, right? But holiness is wrapped up in the entirety of this scene. God is holy. We're not holy, but God commands us to be holy, for He is holy, right? So how can we get holy? How can we become holy? The Lord God is the one who makes us holy. He is the one who sanctifies us to go back to Leviticus chapter 22, verse 32. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And so now we understand, you know, the need for us to come humbly before God. We never have a standing with him to say, look at me and look what I've done and how good I've been. If Isaiah couldn't do it, none of us can. But the Lord can sanctify us. The Lord can make us holy. And it's interesting as we go back to another Leviticus verse. We started at Leviticus 22, but here's another passage in Leviticus 20, verses 7 through 8. I think we've looked at this one um, either last week or the week before. In Leviticus 20, verses 7 through 8, it kind of indicates this idea of how we can become holy and how we can participate in holiness. We, and it's, it indicates this, and we're going to look at this passage. You can, see, you can decide if I'm on the right track or not. We have a part to play in being holy. We are to make ourselves holy. A little bit different from what I've done preaching already already today, right? Wait, God makes us holy. But now, now I'm going to say we are to make ourselves holy and continue to be holy through our obedience. But the Lord is the one who makes us holy. Okay, yeah, I did say it in here. We make ourselves holy, we work on obedience so we can continue to be holy, but it's really God who makes us holy. Alright, so let's look at that verse. So back to Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. And this is an Old Testament passage, I think he still works the same way. We're going to look at some New Testament, well, a New Testament passage. Um, Leviticus 20, verses 7 and 8 says, You shall consecrate yourselves. Okay, do I need to pause and clarify there? Sanctification, consecration, make holy. Some of your translations probably have right there. Make holy. You shall make yourselves holy. NIV, I believe, does that. And it's correct. 20, verse 7. You shall make yourselves holy, therefore... And be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. 
sanctifies you, consecrates you, makes you holy. It's all the same. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So sanctify yourselves, and God is the one who sanctifies you. That's what that verse says. All right, this New Testament. The question is, what does the New Testament say about this? This is kind of the background. I am going to uh, go to one passage, well, two passages. I want to go to, to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 1, verse number 2, where the, where the introduction takes place to this, uh, to this letter. Verse number 2 says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth. And by the way, it's interesting that church, uh, those of you, if, if we hear a lot of people mention church, means it's from the Greek word ekklesia which means called out. So very closely related to the concept that we're talking about with holiness. You're called out. You're separated from. Jesus talked about let them be, you know, they're in the world, but let them be not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're separate. We're distinct. We are holy. We're set apart for a purpose. Set apart to serve God. So to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified, in other words, made holy, those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And now notice it doesn't, it doesn't say to those who have made themselves holy, right? It says those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. Saints, that means holy ones. Ones who are holy. Saints, the church is filled with saints, people who are holy for God. Uh, sainthood is not something, some kind of hierarchical thing. You've got to earn it, do something, this, that, or the other thing. I'm referencing the, the Catholic teaching. That is not the idea of what it means to be a saint. It's those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus... If you have been sanctified in Christ, then you are a saint. Saints by calling, with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are ones who are set apart. We are part of the church. And now look at chapter 6. So that first passage there kind of references this idea that, that God makes us holy. He does it in Jesus Christ is what that passage refers to. So we're saints by calling. And now, well, what's our part in this? If, if God's the one who sanctifies us and makes us holy, what's our role in holiness then? Because I said it's kind of, this, it's kind of a partnership, isn't it? Make yourselves holy. That's what Leviticus talked about in verse, chapter uh, 20, verses 7 and 8. Okay, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know the unrighteous 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. You were made holy, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So if God makes us holy, if God sanctifies us when we were washed and then he sanctifies us, and we're talking about what occurs scripturally according to what happens at baptism, when we are washed, God cleanses us, and it's much like what happened to Isaiah And God finds a way to touch our lips and make us clean. We are sanctified. We are justified. So God does his part. He makes us holy. And then what is our role in maintaining that holiness? It's continuing to walk with Christ. And avoiding... These sinful acts, which were of the flesh, which is how some of those people used to be. This is how some of us were. Such were some of you. And we'd all say, even if we didn't practice something particular in this list, we'd all say, yes, I was a sinner, but I am no more. That's what I was, and now I am striving to be a part of of Christ's kingdom. I'm trying to live this holy life. I am striving in my life not to live like everybody else, but to be holy, to walk in the holiness that God has given me and act like a saint so that God's name can be glorified, so that God's name can be holy. We're to be set apart. We're to be special, distinct. We're not to live like everybody else. Everybody else starts arguing about politics, and and we come in and we share a good word for Jesus. Uh, Everybody else is is talking um, rude and, and ungodly, and we come in and we say something that makes them very mad at us, perhaps, but that brings glory to God. We're not like everybody else. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord and in the spirit of our God. We live according to that spirit. Not according to the spirit of the world. We live according to love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness. I messed it up. And self-control. <laughs> That's our part. God makes us holy. Let us walk in it. Let us be holy. So be holy. This is, um, we've got one more sermon next week. I think it is the last one. It'll be number four. And we've already mentioned that Isaiah, when when his lips were made clean, then he was able to speak in the presence of God. And God just so happens to say, I need somebody to go talk, to share my word. And Isaiah's like, ooh, here am I. Send me, send me. I love that. Isn't that a great passage? He was sanctified, set apart from what is common so he could serve God's purpose. We need to talk more about God's purpose 
in our lives. We're set apart from what is common. God is the one doing this, and we've got to continue to walk in our holiness, to live according to holiness. That's our role. That is what we must do, but it's God who makes us holy. We're never going to get to stand before God someday and say, hey, look, I'm... Made myself holy. You know, it's, we're constantly relying upon him. And Jesus, you know, if we could make ourselves holy, then Jesus died for nothing. You know, if we could do it ourselves, his sacrifice was worthless. But his sacrifice wasn't worthless because we're all sinners. We all fall short. We all need God to make us holy. So let us walk in the holiness that God gives us. Let us live for him with purpose. Make sure you're listening next week because we got to get this purpose thing down and good. Let God make you holy. He does that in baptism according to, according to Scripture. And this is when God, or that is when God cleanses you of sin and sets you apart from what is common so that you can live a holy life serving His purpose. If you haven't been made holy, we'll tell you how to get holy, what God does. If you need to know about, more about baptism, if you, need to, you know you need to submit to it, then do it today. But the encouragement for everybody who has submitted to Christ in baptism, walk in that holiness. Be holy, for God is holy. If you want to be in his presence someday, you've got to let him make you holy. He is the one who sanctifies you. That this table represents how he did it. So now let us turn our thoughts towards this Lord's Supper.